Now the shotgun start in golf is full of mathematics. Um, there's a lot of a lot of setup work that we have to do in order to make a tournament work. So I'm going to demonstrate to you just exactly how we do a shotgun start here. And here we go. All right, all right, all right. Gentlemen, start your Greetings and welcome to a Friday edition of the Shotgun Start. It is April 1st. Brendan here, solo. How are we doing out there? I am by myself. Andy is on family vacation in South Carolina. I told him, do not bother. I will do this by myself. Uh, I'm regretting it slightly now, but I will be on family vacation at Hilton Head in a couple weeks, and I may force him to do this awkwardly all by his lonesome as well, reciprocate in that way. Uh, but we have a Friday show here with an interview with Trevor Immelman. Uh, the next time actually I'll see Andy, or the next podcast you will get from us, will be an in-person recording. We are going to be together at the Masters next weekend, or uh, next week, I should say. Uh, Sunday night, we'll be doing an ANWA, sort of a Chevron championship, as it's now called, recap for Monday, and start dipping our toe into the uh, full Masters week. Obviously, you know, there's a... a a different energy when we record together. So we're pumped about that. Allegedly, the audio quality is better, we're told. Uh, I don't know if that's a good thing for some of you, maybe a bad thing for others whose expectations uh, for this podcast remain low audio quality. But uh, we're really excited to get together after a couple of years apart. You know, last time we were there was a 19 Tiger win. Uh, we did not do the pandemic masters in 2020, nor the sort of limited access and limited patron masters of 2021 so we're very excited to be back at augusta this coming week we'll have a ton of podcasts newsletters writing at the fried egg uh on-site stuff credentialed stuff it'll be it'll be a good week and we're, we're really um grateful i guess for your guys continued support of the podcast you know obviously when the pandemic first hit there was uh concerns about how this would go but we've not only survived and grown mostly just Thanks to you guys engaging, listening, interacting, indulging our, our nonsense and BS. So uh, thank you guys for your continued support. We're pumped for a, uh, a full season out there really at the majors and, and being on the road doing some of those in-person recordings. Um, next, uh, we are excited today to be joined by Trevor Immelman. He is not only the current President's Cup captain, but he was obviously the 2008 Masters winner. He's going to be on the call for NBC and Golf Channel for the ANWA on Saturday. And then obviously also works for CBS. So he'll be on the tower for 15. So he's got kind of a unique perspective as a champion, as a broadcaster for a women's event, the men's masters. Uh, so, so it was good to get some time. And like, candidly, he's, he's a fan of the podcast. That's certainly the least notable credential or part of his bio I should note but he's he sort of understands this community understands that the game doesn't need to be super serious every time we're talking about professional golf uh and, and he's just been really good to us we've seen him out at certain events and he gives us so much time and, and is really fun guy to bs with and, and sort of is, is a part of this community I would say hopefully maybe maybe that's a that's a 
scarlet letter I'm branding him with by, by suggesting that, but he was really kind with his time. Uh, this episode is, and actually I should note, he, he gets into some cool stories. Not, not, none of my questions were that good, but he gets some great stories out there about both the course and the masters tournaments, some memories and, and stuff, some inside the champions dinner and some of the shots he really let make him feel like a kid at Augusta national. So, uh, I'm really excited for this one kind of leading us into next week. It is brought to you by Elijah Craig. I had an Elijah Craig last night, Wednesday night. We got uh, whatever you want to call that, Thursday junior, hump day. I got to the end of it. Ice in a cup, poured the Elijah Craig in. I don't mess, mess around with uh, the fancy syrups or cocktail mixes or try to make it old-fashioned. Uh, time is of the essence. I just go. I put a, two, three ice cubes in, pour the Elijah Craig on, and go. I, I would suggest you stock up. We have Anwa Saturday, great Saturday afternoon watch, Final Four that night, and then the Masters Tournament coming the next week. Uh, so now's the time to stock up on Elijah Craig. Every bottle of their award-winning small batch with an A carries a signature warm spice and subtle smoke flavor. Uh, it won the double gold at San Francisco World Spirits Competition. Uh, whether you're watching the Masters at home or playing a few holes with your buddies, Make or enemies make Elijah Craig your signature sip, and you know you can go on the internet and read about anything these days. And if you'd like to go on the internet and read about bourbon, you could go to ElijahCraig.com/slash/fried-egg and find some I don't know some cocktail uh, recipes there. If you do have the time to do so, make a cocktail. You can go to ElijahCraig.com/slash/fried-egg and read more. The Shotgun Start is brought to you by Elijah Craig Kentucky Straight Bourbon Whiskey, Bardstown, Kentucky. 47% alcohol by volume. Elijah Craig reminds you to think wisely and drink wisely. And with that, we will get to Trevor Immelman. Thanks again for his time. Are you allowed to say that? What's the correct title? Are you a champion? Is is former or past disrespectful? Or is it is it you're a champion forever? You're a champion this year and, and forever. How, how do they, what's the correct terminology there? Uh, the correct terminology is that you're a champion forever. So okay. you are... 2008 Masters champion. I don't think uh, they like to squeeze the word former or past in there. <laughs> That's what I thought. That's what I thought. As I started talking, I was like, it feels like they get very particular about, about titles and terminology and nomenclature. So I wanted to make sure we were correct there. Trevor, thank you so much for joining us. Hey, Brendan, it's, uh, it's a treat to join you. I'm a fan of the pod. Listen to you and Andy all the time. So it's great to be joining you. I don't know if that's a... An endorsement for you or, or or an indictment if you're listening to us all the time. But well, yeah, I'm I'm keeping an ear on you guys all the time <laughs> as well. So just be careful. <laughs> uh, thank you. We appreciate it. I, I first question, little levity. Are you okay after the big green egg incident? I saw a post on Twitter that you burned your arm there. Are you all right? It marked I mean, it up. What happened? Look at that. It looks like a giant golf ball hit me. You can see right. the dim- everything. So um, you know, I love grilling outside. It's a, it's a South African thing. It's a pastime. We all grew up and uh, doing and enjoying as much as we can. Perfect weather in Florida this time of year. So I'm cranking some kind of fire or grill or green egg or something up almost every night when I'm home. And um, it was very hot, as you could see when I yeah. <laughs> showed you the mark on my arm. Uh, and I'd lifted the lid up and was actually cleaning the grill, like scraping the grill with a, a steel brush. Yep. And somehow, I don't know how, but my right 
arm touched the lid that was open. Mm-hmm. And so I guess it was just like the weird angle that I was standing, scoping the girl with. And man, did it hurt. And there's no, like my arm was there for less than a second. It was just like, because as soon as you feel that, that pain, you like jump three feet from the, from right. the thing. And uh, gosh, immediately just like was on fire. Put burn gel, ice, I had the whole thing going. Uh, uh, Andy here might ask you like what your favorite fruit is, but I would ask you what, you know, what's your favorite thing to barbecue or grill or smoke? I, now, like barbecue Twitter gets, it's an intense place. Like you, if yeah. you're going to show your results or your wear, like, like you got to be expected to receive a lot of blowback and critique. People always, uh, you know, put down everything, you know, it's, it's, you're waded into dangerous territory, but what is your favorite? It sounds like you're an expert. What's your go-to if you had a first choice? Yeah, it can be a pretty judgmental place. Yes. You know, you put a picture on of, of doing chicken and all of a sudden, you know, that's not good enough. You're right. going to have some kind of red meat. I always get some kind of comment from South Africans back home. Okay. The chicken is the salad, but where, you know, where are the chops <laughs> and where's the sausage and where's the steaks. Um, but I'll, I'll do anything out there, you know, whether it be smoking or grilling, whether it be, uh, you know, open fire, I got a pretty cool rig for that or even just a gas grill. So, I'll go with chicken. I'll go with whole chicken sometimes that are like spatchcock open or, uh, you know, that you can kind of spread them out. We'll do lamb chops, steaks, you name it. We've got a a cool spot down in West Palm Beach, a South African store that uh, does a lot of sausage for us. So, you know, we'll grill that up. We've got got all sorts of things going all the way down to uh, grilled sandwiches. In South Africa, we call them bribrookies. Can right. you say that? <laughs> I mean, my pronunciation's always lacking. Bribrookies? Bribrookies? Yeah, that's pretty good. Okay. That's pretty good. So right. uh, what that is, um, it's like a grilled cheese, and you can add tomatoes and onions, and, you know, you can put some any kind of sauce on there, and you grill it out okay. on the fire, All and right. it's just amazing. All right. okay. have to have you over sometime. Tomatoes. I say tomato. I like that. That's a different pronunciation. That, that works too. Do you say schedule or schedule? What's uh, the schedule? Okay. Yeah. The, the Brits seem to go schedule or, or you know, it, it's not consistent. That's always a debate here. Schedule. Yeah, I don't know. You got me thinking. Now I don't even know which variation <laughs> I use. <laughs> this right. is getting confusing. Let's get to golf. All right. What is your, <laughs> this is a general, t- uh, general question. What's your favorite master story to tell? Obvious outside of your championship, outside of your win in 2008, it could be an, an off the beaten path tale. It could be uh, something that was relayed to you at a champions dinner, uh, 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 an aspect of the property that maybe no one knows about. What's your favorite master story to tell others? Uh, it's a good, good question. There's been so many good ones over the years that I've heard. One right. of my favorites uh, actually comes from Gary Player. And uh, if you if you haven't heard this one, it's a pretty good one. So I'm trying to don't know the exact date, but we are in the mid to early 70s. And it was before Augusta National had gone to bent grass greens, even which happened. I believe it was 79 uh, when it went to bent grass greens. Fuzzy might have been the first guy to win on bent. So it used to be Bermuda. So. 
Gary said uh, one of the years there in the mid to early 70s, they pitched up and the fairways, the grass was a little longer than what they were used to and on fairways. And so the greens were incredibly firm. And what the guys were finding in the practice rounds was uh, it was tough to control distance because every now and then you'd get like a little jumper out of the fairway and the greens were so firm. And as you know, the, the, the plateaus and areas you got to hit into on approach are so tiny that even though these guys are the best in the world, they couldn't find a way to get the ball close to the hole. So he said, uh, you know, on Tuesday, him and Jack and Arnie were having a chat and they were just saying like, man, how firm are the greens? Can't quite control the ball out of the fairways. Uh, you know, maybe we could get them to lower the heights on the fairways so that we can get some more spin on the approach shots. So they said, uh, Jack and Arnie are like, okay, Gary, well, you know, Clifford Roberts, who was the chairman at the time, he loves you. And so you should go and have a word with him about this. So Gary says, okay. So goes to his secretary, says, you know, I'd like to speak to Mr. Roberts. They get, uh, you know, like an appointment for him to see him that, that later that day. Sure. And so Gary goes in there. He's, he had won the Masters uh, before already. So he's going in there as a champion as well. And uh, he says, you know, you could feel like the, the temperature in the room, you know, as you walk in, it was kind of like going to the headmaster, you know. Right. And so he says, uh, you know, Mr. Roberts says to him, yes, Gary, how can I help you? So he says, well, Mr. Roberts, you know, in the practice rounds, we've just been noticing that we're struggling to control the spin on the ball and the distance control. And the greens are so perfect and so firm. We're just having a hard time getting the ball close to the hole. So apparently Mr. Roberts looks up and says to him, Gary, do you know anything about poetry? So Gary says, oh, yes, Mr. Roberts, you know, Shakespeare and Wordsworth. And he starts reciting a few lines from his favorite poem. And uh, Mr. Roberts listens for a little while and he says, okay, so I've got a poem for you. And Gary says, okay, great. Can't wait to hear it. And he says, the mowers are as low as they can go. And then he said, see you later, Gary. And that was it. <laughs> That's a good one. That's a fantastic story. When uh, did it's you... one of our favorites that Gary tells that it's just, you know, he drags it out with all the little bits and pieces right? from the week. And it is just so good. I don't think I've heard that. I, I have not heard that. You hear a lot of master stories retold, but I've not heard that one specifically. Great. Thank yeah. you. What is your favorite master? You've now you're pushing almost 15 years in the Masters Champions Dinner. Uh, what's your favorite sort of moment or story from a Masters Champions Dinner? I, I've heard, I've seen, you know, stories from Gary that, that say some of the best ones about Hogan, you know, you know, sort of putting the youngsters in line or new ones in line. He's, I've read something about he slammed a book down because someone asked somebody to autograph it, right? He goes, this is for champions. Uh, you know, what is one incident or moment, not incident, I should say moment or story from your now almost 15 years in the champions dinner that, that really sits with you? Yeah, there's so many good ones. It's such a special evening uh, to be a part of. I can't wait for it. 
you know, we're counting down the days to that now too. So that's going to be exciting with Hideki hosting. But there's been so many good ones. Um, because at times you see a lot of these champions uh, as they get up and speak as defending champion, you see so much vulnerability at times and emotion. Right. Uh, you really get to feel what that moment means to these guys, even legendary players. I think back just a few years ago to when Tiger was hosting in 2020 after he had won his fifth green jacket in 2019. And uh, man, it was, a, it was an emotional speech. He spoke about his father uh, not being there when he was walking off the 18th green, that had been the first time winning the tournament with his father, not there, but it was also so great to have his son and his daughter there and his mother there. And uh, you know how that showed like the evolution of his life and career. And he also touched on uh, just how incredible that moment was mm -hmm. because there were times leading up to that to where he wasn't sure if he would even be able to play golf again. Right. going through all of those back surgeries sure. and knee issues. And he just at times wasn't able, even able to get up off the couch and walk to the fridge, let alone be in a position to be able to walk that golf course, compete in that tournament, and then beat the current generation of best golfers again. Right. And so it was really emotional. And he was tearing up about that fact, right. uh, just realizing like, sinking in even more that he had won it again and that was really incredible to be a part of because you could get such a, a clear feel for the pain that he had been through but also the relief of mm -hmm. mentally still knowing that that he can still beat the best players in the world even whatever that is 25 years later yep. Was there a pressure in hosting it yourself and setting the menu? Did you feel a pressure in, in oh, yeah. that position? And I guess it, that something's going to flop with the room or, or not sit well with the room, or do you just, you know, it's, it's my dinner. I'll do what I want. Oh yeah. I was so nervous. I was, you know, I might've been more nervous leading up to that evening than what I was winning the tournament the year before. <laughs> it had been 30 years since the South African had won the masters. Gary uh, won his third in 78 and uh, so I felt a little pressure through that. South Africa is such a huge sporting nation, sports fanatics, outdoor. We're an outdoor culture and people. And uh, that tournament is so huge back home. And so we ran a competition down there in one of the biggest newspapers, getting everybody's opinion on what I should serve. And um, so that was a lot of fun, you know, getting the population involved with that. We ended up going with a a dish that is served often down where I'm from in Cape Town called Baburti. And, uh, you know, it went down really well. My wife worked with the, the chefs at Augusta National and they dialed in the recipes perfectly. Nice. And I actually did like a little sample earlier on Tuesday to make right. sure that exactly how I wanted it. And uh, it was just so amazing. But yeah, when you're sitting up there at the head of the table, uh, between the chairman, who was Billy Payne at the time, and the MC of the evening, Ben Crenshaw. And there I was, uh, you know, in my late 20s, and you, you're looking down this long rectangular table, and you're seeing Arnie and Jack and Tiger and Ray Floyd and Watson and VJ and 
you know, you name it, Felder, you go down the list, Woosnam, Malathabal. I mean, it is just, you're kind of thinking to yourself, whoa, how on earth have I, you know, this little kid from down in the corner of Africa found my, my, uh, my way into this room in this moment. So pretty intimidating. I managed to get a few words out, uh, just thanking everybody and trying to convey my appreciation for, for being in the room and how much that tournament had meant to me in my formative years learning the game. Uh, and it was a great evening. We, we had uh, South African desserts, snacks, uh, and then the meal. We had wines from my hometown in Somerset West. And uh, one of the things I really remember about the evening was after the dinner, Jack Nicholas came up to me. Uh, he spent a ton of time in South Africa vacationing down there, designing courses down there. And uh, he came up to me and was like, man, you know, I hadn't had those dishes in a little while and you guys nailed it. It was really good. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And so stuff like that. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, it's a, it's a cool, cool moment. Cool feeling. Wow. That's amazing imagery. Uh, without naming names or the dish, has there been one that you've been, you know, kind of pushed around your plate? Did the thing my kids do that you didn't want? <laughs> Did they all, has there been a meal in there that maybe you just kind of, you know, readjust around the plate to make it look like you took a part of it. No, okay. there, there, ha there hasn't. And, I, I, you know, you've been to Augusta National, yep. uh, Brendan. You know, everything everything is good. The, right. the chocolate bars they That's make fair. is the best chocolate in the world. That's the fair. water tastes different. Yep. The sandwiches are the best sandwiches. It's I, I don't know what goes on there, but <laughs> everything just tastes better than it does anywhere else in the world. So okay. never had a bad one, I must say. Okay, that's fair. Uh, how has the golf course changed since you started playing there? Uh, even prior to your victory, prior to your champion, mm. uh, how has it evolved and changed? I know this is like a constant source of discussion. It's, you know, the one major where we return in the men's game every single year and every little mowing line is, is sort of noticed. What is, what is the most significant dramatic change since you started playing there at Augusta national? Well, it's gotten a lot narrower and, and a lot longer. I played my first masters in 99 as an amateur. And that was actually the first year they brought the second cut in. Yes. So that was a change. There were two firsts in 99, the second cut and playing in groups of three on Thursday and Friday. Oh, okay. In the past, they would go in pairs for the whole tournament. And so there were two firsts in 99. Uh, but still, when you start to look from 99 till when I won, the, the course is just so much longer. I remember in 99, uh, the tee on 18 for instance, you used to stand up on the tee on 18 and really just try and hit one of the biggest slices you could off of the tee. Right. It was almost uh, a um, the exact opposite as the tee shot on 10. Like, you know how you stand up on yep. 10 and you try and hit the biggest hook you can? Yep. On 18, you used to stand up and have to hit the biggest slice you could. Otherwise, you would go under the lip of those bunkers. Right. And now, you know, it's like 315 the three or 300 plus to get to the bunker. They've pulled that tee so far back towards the 15th fairway. 
and those trees have really started encroaching that tee shot on 18 it is like walking single file down there man it is one of the narrowest tee shots in professional golf uh and so stuff like that really has changed uh that's interesting I, I remember Woosnam, Ian Woosnam saying he was purposely trying to hit the hard hook, right? Up above those bunkers and in Bryson more recently. And that's, it's a different game, different ball, different you sure. know, distance. I wonder like how, what is that? What do you make of that kind of strategy? It seems like it's, it's quite against the grain, but if you have the right kind of power or the right kind of game, that is a possibility as opposed to hitting the big slice. Like you talk about with it. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, it's one of the things that I love about the game. Yeah. You know, when you are comparing players trying to win the biggest events and you as a viewer are trying to figure out what they have at their disposal, you know, what, how big is the toolbox? What have they got going on that they can use now in 1991, I think it was when Woosnam won, he was one of the few players in the world with a persimmon-headed word that could just bomb it straight over those two bunkers, which was probably, I'm guessing, but probably like a 290-yard uphill carry, which yeah. is incredible shot for them. Right. And so he was able to do that and hit it into that huge area where the patrons walk between 9 and 18. So more power to him. And now we've seen Bryson maybe be able to do that um with what the current setup is and you also go a couple of years earlier 88 when sandy lyle won he didn't want to do that so he went for that one iron which was a favorite his favorite club in the bag trying to leave it short right. of those bunkers but he had so much adrenaline flowing he smashed that one iron right into them yep. and then hit one of the greatest shots in masters uh, history right. so uh I kind of like seeing what these players have in their toolbox in the biggest moments. Mm -hmm. Uh, To me, that's, that's cool. Um, Are there shots or skills needed now more or less than there were in 2008 when you won? Is there, is there the different kind of toolbox you think that prevails or is preferred uh, or is it a similar kind of uh, variety? I, I read your your statistical profile, obviously, from a winner was, was immaculate, right? Second in greens and regulation, first in accuracy in 08, driving accuracy, fourth in putts per round. You know, you were in the top 20 in distance. Like, that's a pretty well-rounded game. Is there something that you feel like has been accentuated since 2008, uh, given the current course? I think it's netted out about the same okay when i won you would need long irons maybe a five word or a hybrid in those days was quite popular into the par fives right uh two would be quite hard to reach unless you really got one turning around the corner two could be tough to reach eight could be really tough to reach uh, so we've seen guys being able to get there now with, with irons. Um, but you know, when I think back to the fifth hole, when I won on the last day, I made a birdie there and I hit a seven iron in for my second shot. Now where they've pulled the tee back to now, I mean, you're going to have to bomb a tee shot to have a seven iron in there. So five has become more of a long iron second shot now to when I won. Uh, four is more of a long iron now when I won it was a hybrid maybe a five wood uh, 
so it's, it's kind of netted out the same because they're hitting less long irons um, or woods into the par fives, but all of a sudden, you know, holes like five now, mm-hmm. maybe 11 this year because they've extended that tee shot. Now they're going to have to hit some long irons there. So I don't see it actually playing all that different now to what it did in 08. Interesting. Yeah, I was watching rewatching your your final round. They they were talking about Steve Flesh, like the the sort of miracle that he could get home in two on two, right? And and he pounded it through the green. He actually flew the green. It was just kind of nowadays. It, it's it, to suggest that's a miracle would be rare, right? I mean, yeah, it, it, it's not an easy shot. Field. Go ahead. Everybody in the field can pretty much get up on two. We've even started seeing in the last couple of years some players will purposefully take a three wood off of the tee to try and make sure they don't run into that bunker there on the right hand side on the fairway that bunker it feels like it's the same as the first hole the first and the second every year you go back you take a walk down there it feels like those fairway bunkers get a foot deeper and so you know all of a sudden on one now i remember first playing there and you could hit it in the bunker on one you could see the green, no problem. Now you hit it in that fairway bunker on one, you just get down there and you cannot see anything. All you see is blue sky. You've right. got a massive lip in front of you. And it's the same on two. That that fairway bunker has become quite punishing. You really can only advance it maybe 150 yards down the hill there. So we started to see players hit three wood off the tee to, to purposefully lay short, knowing that they could still reach the green from there. So they could go three wood, three wood, or three wood, five wood. Uh, there's probably only a handful of players in the field that have got the power to blast it over that bunker and catch that downslope, and then they're only going to be having a, a mid iron in. You played. You talked about your first Masters in 1999. You and how the the sort of I don't know the, the Tiger proofing is sort of the, the accepted catch all term for it had started. You played it in in a when it it was fairly similar right there wouldn't have been a massive significant changes at some point during your master's career uh of course nips and tucks and change you know subtle changes but you did have to encounter dramatic equipment adjustments right you're one of those players who came up playing a certain way the ball evolved and the game sort of changed right especially when by the time you had won the masters in 08 how did the way you played Augusta National change during your master's career, certainly with the, the equipment evolution and that? Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, initially, as I'm thinking through that, it doesn't really feel like it changed all that much because they've done such a great job making the adjustments where they needed to make the adjustments to where players are still for the most part, hitting the same clubs that we always did. Okay. Um, okay. You know, because where the teen grounds were located in 99, I was still able to reach um, the par fives on the back. Uh, two, you could, you know, get lucky and get there. So it was a little harder. You would lay up down that front right and try and get it up and down a bit more often than what you see from the players now. Eight was impossible um, for me in 99. Just no way. But, you know, I think they've done an amazing job rolling with the equipment to really keep the integrity of the golf course and have these players get tested the same way. Now, the golf ball has gotten so good, so predictable when you hit it well, that distance control on the approach 
and controlling the spin is so much easier now than what it would have been for those guys, um, you know, in the nineties and before that, because that ball was just spinning like crazy. Right. And it would have been so much harder. I imagine to keep the ball on those plateaus and keep it in the right area to where you don't uh, have these 40, 50 footers up huge ridges. I mean, just think back to some of the, some of the issues that Norman had there with spin control on wedge shots and stuff like that. Nowadays, players are able to dial in the spin and control the trajectory and spin so much easier than, than the players of yesteryear. Was that a big adjustment for you personally, regardless of, of Augusta National, but in your career, coming up as a junior, winning the pub links uh, with a spinny ball, and then obviously you, you t- become a professional and, and in your 20s, you win the Masters at 28. You know, it's a really different kind of ball and a different kind of game. Was that a huge adjustment given the way you came up playing junior golf? Well, the adjustment came in, you know, whatever, 2002, 2003, wherever that was, where that Pro V1 came in. And that was when things like really exploded. Yep. I remember playing uh, at the time I was not using a Titleist ball. And I, I used to play a lot of practice rounds with Ernie and Adam Scott. And they were. And I just remember, look, they were long hitters and great drivers of the ball throughout their careers, but I could keep it up near them, mm-hmm. uh, not that far behind. And it was like overnight, these guys just picked up, felt like 30 yards on me. And that really, for me, was the explosion where we had to start making some adjustments and getting in the gym and trying to figure out how to get faster to be able to compete with all of that for me that was the biggest jump was in the early 2000s there where distance just exploded with that pro v1 uh andy's written about it a little bit at the friday it seems like there are some changes in store for the course this year with 11 uh some trees being removed out to the right some uh, mowing lines on nine uh two kind of fairways being pushed out a little bit more is there anything that you uh, sort of excites you as someone who's played Augusta National as a competitor so so much, uh, or something that you'd want to see a subtle change, something that you'd want to see uh, brought back or mowed down, anything to the course that that really you relish. Well, I've always been a huge fan of when it's fiery and when the ball is rolling a lot. For me, that's always uh, the most fun. You know, maybe not to play in the biggest moments because it's just, it's it's so on edge and you know you have to be so precise. So it provides a lot of anxiety for the player. <laughs> but I think now that I've stepped onto the other side and are doing the broadcasting and, you know, I watch at home, for me it's so much more fun to see these players being tested like that and having the ball really be rolling a lot. Okay. So... My understanding is for this year, there's some areas where the second cut has been taken down. And so there'll be a a little bit more opportunity for balls to be rolling into the trees. I think that could be great in spots. Uh, Then 11 and 15, 15 is my hole and I'll be doing the CBS broadcast. Those holes have uh, been lengthened a little bit. So it's going to be interesting to see how they play. Um, you know, guys at times have been going in with um, some medium irons there on 15. So it'll be great to see them tested with some more long irons, maybe some fairway woods, because that green is so shallow 
that coming over the pond, you obviously don't want to be short. So you're always flying that ball into the back half. And uh, then if it's firm, it can take a huge skip and, and run down the hill there. And we remember Hideki last year coming down the stretch and it into the water on, in the pond on 16 over the back of 15. So for me, those are the things that really start testing the player is, is having to judge the size of the bounce. And then, man, if we just misjudge this and it hits one of these edges, how far down the hill is it going to roll? Kind of like number 10 is another example. When I first started going to Augusta National, if you didn't fly at five yards on the green at 10 and that ball started creeping back towards the front edge, it would roll all the way down to the bottom of the hill. Right. And you just had a brutal little pitch because you, from down there, you can't see the level of the green. If the whole location is in the back, you can't see the top of the flag. So now it becomes a guessing game on this little you know, 40, 50 yard pitch to an undulating green. And it's almost an auto bogey. Uh, whereas in the last few years, as we've had slightly softer conditions, that ball will tend to stick up near the front edge of the green. It won't roll all the way back. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see. You never quite know what you're going to get because so much of it this time of the year depends on the weather. It can be quite volatile in Georgia here in April. So right. you just never quite know what you're going to get. Is there a favorite shot that you have at Augusta National? Not specific shot, but a, a, an approach, a drive, something, a, a play around the green that you know, walking up to the ball, this is, this, I'm going to have fun or I'm going to enjoy this opportunity. Look, there's so many. That, that course is so great. I, right. as, as famous as what it is, I st still think it's kind of underrated. <laughs> Like the, the shot value, the shots you need to be able to hit there to score well, it's off the charts. And then the beauty as well is you can play there with somebody who's a 15 handicap and, you know, they can play the whole front nine, no problem. You can play the first 10 holes, no problem without losing a ball because there's just not much water around on the first 10 holes and you can run the ball, no problem. You could top it off the first tee and get 200 yards out of it with it running down the hill. So I just think the course is it's so brilliantly designed. But the second shot into one is, is always a beast. The first is just such a tough opening hole for a major championship uh, because you're nervous as hell on the tee. And you're just trying to get this thing in play. The fairway squeezes down at that fairway bunker. But once you get that done, the second shot, you have to be so precise with your distance. That green, you got that little plateau on the front left over the bunker. Then you have the back right plateau. I mean, these areas, you've, you've got to be landing the ball. If you want to be within 10 feet, you have to land the ball within five feet of your number. And that's hard enough if you were playing in a dome. Now, if you throw a five mile an hour, 10 mile an hour wind on that, it just becomes so difficult. And so you've got to be so precise on that tee shot on on uh, uh second shot on one uh but a shot that you always look forward to is if you miss the green on nine to the right uh okay if you've played there a lot there's just so many angles and bumps and ridges you can use to funnel the ball back to the hole okay. uh that shot always sort of takes you back to feeling like a kid because 
you know, the hole, you could be 40 feet away from the hole, but you're hitting it like almost at a 45 degree angle to the right away from that. And you're yeah. using a little ridge and a backstop and it almost brings the ball to a stop. And then all of a sudden you see that logo turn and the ball just funneled down to the hole. So that's a lot of fun. And, uh, and then 12, 12 is just 12 is, is so, so, so good. Fascinating. Uh, you talked about one, uh, you missed it right uh, on the final round there and made a bogey. Of course you played with Snedeker who, who also made a bogey. Was that the most anxiety or, or nervous you felt uh, in that 08 scenario? Was it Saturday night sleeping on the lead? I mean, you slept on the lead multiple days that week. What, what was the most anxious you felt? I, I know Snedeker uh, eagled two, and I think that was the first time someone got the double digits under par. You tied tied you for the lead at the moment. But what was the most anxiety you felt? The most uh, the, the normity of the moment that entire week. Uh, there was a couple of times uh, that first tee for sure. I remember I'd worked with Bob Rotella for pretty much the majority of my career. Yep. Bob was there that that week, as he always was at the majors. Just an absolute legend. And I remember getting through the warm-up, um, walking onto the uh, the practice area, and it was it was the old practice area where you would be hitting next to Magnolia Lane, and I would always go down to the left corner up against the hedges and warmed up next to Tiger, and there he was wearing his red shirt and all the rest, and just trying to keep it together, and going onto the putting green up at the first tee. And I distinctly remember saying to Rotella, man, I, I don't know how these guys keep saying that this is fun. Like, I, I feel like I'm going to throw up into one of these cups right here on the practice screen right now. And he started laughing about it and made a few jokes and it kind of eased me up a little bit. But I remember we had gusts up to 35 miles an hour that day because it was the tail end of that storm that came through the day before. And it was just straight off the left on number one. And I remember being really nervous about that tee shot because the whole week I'd stood up on number one and aimed into the left trees and just hit like this power cut into the fairway. Mm -hmm. And it had worked really well. But now all of a sudden I had this gigantic wind out of the left. And so I remember worrying about like, man, do I need to now change my strategy and try and hit a draw off of this tee to neutralize this wind? Or shall I still go with this power cut? Uh, but then now I got to start this thing almost in the ninth fairway. All right. And I was kind of going back and forth with what to do, what to do, what to do, uh, as well as uh, juggling my nerves and got to the tee and I was like, okay, well, just stick with your strategy, go with the cut. And just how I'd, I'd anticipated, I hit the shot and this thing just <laughs> went <laughs> off with the wind straight into the trees on the right. And I was like, oh my God. And so, uh, I mean, I was so deep in there. I had no look at the green at all. I had to just punch it out and ended up making a bogey. And then Snedeker eagled too. And all of a sudden we're tired. And I was like, oh man. Uh, but then he bogeyed three, I pod three, so I got the lead back. And then I birdied five, which is just a, an amazing birdie. Um, and so things that got me to even for the day. And I yep. started growing that lead again. And things started kind of going for me again. The other time was a few holes later, 
just when I thought I was starting to settle down. I had a great shot into seven. I had about a four-footer for birdie and just yanked the heck out of this thing. <laughs> Barely touched the hole. And it was a fairly simple putt, like up, uphill, right edge. And this thing didn't even ever look like it was going in. It kind of caught me off guard. I was like, whoa, that was not very convincing right there. And you walk to eight, the yep. par five. You're hoping to get one back. Drove it in the bunker. Had to lay up hit my third on the green, but a long way from the hole and three putted. So now I've just gone, miss a short putt, three putt. You walk into nine going like, man, is this, is this thing slipping away from me? And I ended up hitting a great tee shot down nine, front left hole location. And I've only got a wedge into the green. I've driven it all the way down the bottom of the hill. And you know, I've just spoken you through what to do on nine. You could hit it way right and have the pretty simple chip and get it up and down. And there I am standing with this wedge and I pull this thing left into the bunker. And it's like one of the worst places you could leave the ball on any hole at Augusta National. And it, I was like, oh man, I'm, I'm choking this thing away. And I remember handing the club to my caddy saying to him, man, I just don't, I don't feel right. I don't feel myself. This is, this is just not good. Yeah. And um, the night before Gary had called me and he said to me, he actually said to me, uh, at some point tomorrow, there's going to be some adversity and you're going to feel like uh, things aren't going your way. And at that, he's, he said to me, that's going to be the moment that's going to determine if you've got what it, takes to win major championship because you're either going to fall away like so many people have or you're going to hang in there and find a way to get this thing done and and that just popped straight into my brain as soon as soon as I said that to my caddy and I managed to get it up and down one of the probably the best bunker shot I ever hit in my life there to get it to about eight feet and I made the putt and that sort of spurred me on to that second nine Amazing. Was that uh, setting aside the pressure of playing as the Masters leader on Sunday? Was that some of the most difficult conditions you faced at Augusta National? Uh, we talked about the wind gusting 30, 35. Uh, you know, the year before, Zach Johnson had won. The scores were incredibly high. The scoring average on that Sunday, your Sunday was 75, almost 75. Um, playing par golf was a good score, a great score. And you held the chasers off with that more or less until 16 when you had a cushion, quite a cushion. Is that, did they, maybe, did they purposefully or unintentionally just based on mother nature? Do you felt like it became less challenging after that stretch? Or, or was that just sort of the wind coming up on a specific Sunday? It just feels like those two years combined was among the most challenging we've seen Augusta in this century. Yeah, I think it was purely because of the weather 07 was cold and windy so the ball was going nowhere uh and was extremely windy i remember shooting like a couple of 77s on the weekend there in 07 just uh feeling like there's no way to make a birdie i think zach won it one over if i'm not mistaken it was over par yep uh, and then 08, we had great weather for the first two days. Then that storm came in. We were delayed for a couple hours on, on uh, Saturday, but still it was pretty calm conditions. And then the course was receptive after the rain. So Saturday, you could still get after it. 
But then Sunday with the wind, the wind dramatically changes Augusta National because of how precise you have to be on approach. And so all of a sudden now you've got another variable. You already have the variable of not much space to work with on approach. But at Augusta National, so many uh, shots that you're hitting from an uneven lie. And that at times can change things and make uh, distance control a little tougher. I mean, if you're just off with the strike and you lose it, you lose a yard or two of distance, all of a sudden it catches a ridge and goes 40 feet. So now you've got that and you've also got this wind. It just becomes so difficult to get the ball close. So every hole you feel like you're just fighting to make a par. Long putts, uh, over ridges, those putts are difficult to get inside of five or six feet. So now you're grinding over a five or six footer for par that already has a cup, cup and a half of break. Now you're trying to guess if the wind, how much the wind is going to affect this putt. Uh, you're trying to stay stable. There, there's just a lot going on. There were only a few, I wanted to say two or three guys that broke par on that Sunday in 08. And it's kind of crazy when you think about uh, the fact that I started the day with a two-shot lead, shot 75, and increased my lead. I mean, that just right. shows you how tough it was out there. Right. You mentioned warming up next to Tiger. Did you notice him uh, audibly out there? What was it like playing with him in contention? He made a, a what, a 75-footer on 11 uh, that kind of ignited a roar. Did that change your calculus, having Tiger? He finished solo second. I don't know that I'd say he was like kind of nipping at your heels at any specific point, but it, obviously he's out there. He's won, I don't know, 14, 13 majors at that point. Um, how did that change your mindset or did it at all? Did you notice him audibly, visually throughout the day? Well, at Augusta National, it's a, it's a little different uh, going up against him because the patrons are a bit more disciplined and respectful than what we would see at a regular week out on the PGA Tour. I remember when uh, he and I were going down the stretch at the, um, the the Western Open. Actually, it's a pity Andy's not here for the mention uh, of the Western Open. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he would be really happy with that. Yeah. At the old, at the old Cog Hill. I don't know what you're talking about. It's the BMW Championship. <laughs> yeah, <I'm sorry. laughs> that's, right. that's right. So um, remember coming down the stretch there, he was the group in front of me and the crowd were just forceful, man, letting you know exactly what he was doing. Tiger's coming. Don't choke. You can't beat Tiger. Nobody beats Tiger. You know, he's got you, all that kind of stuff. So you're hearing yeah. all of that from the crowd throughout the whole second nine. Uh, and then you're watching him make birdies and, um, you know, give it these big uppercut fist bumps and stuff like that that's revving everybody else up even more. And so that is a certain experience that you you uh, learn to deal with. But at Augusta National, it's a little bit diff different. Um, you feel the noise. You're just not hearing as much of the, the chirping, so to speak. And I remember on that Sunday, uh, with as tough as what it was playing, there were a bunch of guys... Uh, hitting it in the creek on 12. So they were, when we got to the 11th tee, there was quite a big backup. There was a group in the fairway, um, and then Tiger's group was on the green at 11. 
and whole location was back right and he was front right i mean he's got 50 feet at least and he makes this putt and there's a huge amount of patrons that kind of stack together there at 11 green all behind the 12th tee and the noise was insane and it just like shuttled its way up the 11th fairway and smacked me in the face as I was standing on the tee and it was undeniable that it was a, a tiger roar right I kind of almost wondered like you know has he made a one on 12 like what is going on because from the tee you can't see down to the green you can't see 12 t you can't see 13 and so now your mind is just like well what's going on what's going on and but here you've got one of the toughest holes in the golf course that you're standing on the tee just trying to figure out okay how do I put this in the fairway how can I make a par here and so I I remember like feeling that and going like, okay, you got to regroup here and focus on this tee shot because you can make a bogey or a double on this hole in a heartbeat. And it was quite funny because when I watched it afterwards, uh, you know, the greens are so damn pure there. And he, he, he has so much knowledge about that golf course and the greens that he hits this part and this thing's like halfway there and he yeah. raises his arm, you know, <laughs> And like, like it gets everybody excited right. and then the ball drops in and he gives it this huge fist pump and um, you know, what a moment. And, and he does a lot of that stuff um, for his, his own emotion and enjoyment also for the crowd's enjoyment. But he, you know, he has done and does a lot of that stuff to send a message to the people he's playing against as well. And so uh, it was quite a cool moment when you watch it back. Uh, you made it through clean, right? You bogeyed 12, birdied 13. You made it through clean, uh, yeah. like we said. Even par that day was really good. Um, and par 11, right after that roar. Uh, so you were 28 when you won. Uh, that was young for a Masters uh, winner at, at the time. I think I, I read Tiger, you know, obviously had been younger in 97 and, and early 2000s, but and that sort of trend has has continued even as the game becomes younger and younger. We see the top of the world rankings, right? Everybody's 25 younger. But, you know, outside of maybe Jordan Spieth in 2015, the Masters continues to produce champions that have had some seasoning. Do you think that's sustainable with Augusta National and why, a why do you think that is? Um there's generally, you know, the the common refrain is experience really helps there. But why do you think that is that that's held up? And do you think that's sustainable given the way the top of the world rankings continue to get younger? Well, it's, it's probably not sustainable. I, it, it, it's kind of similar to what we're seeing week in and week out on the PGA Tour. I mean, these guys are getting great. They're becoming great. So young now. And I think there's a few different reasons to that. Um, that maybe we can go through an, at another time, sure. but they're, they're just able to, to understand and know their games at such a young age now. Whereas when I turned pro uh, at the end of or mid part of 99, you know, you, ha you weren't a complete player yet. You were a good amateur and you were hoping to be a good pro, but it would still take you a few years to figure out 
exactly the inner, inner workings of the tour and what things you should do, how you should play, uh, you know, when you should go after whole locations, when you should shy away, where the spots to miss on particular golf courses. Now they're able, uh, through the capturing of data, to be able to uh, take so many shortcuts at learning and understanding these things that, uh, you know, we, we see them just knocking down the door in their mid to early 20s. And so I don't think it's sustainable. I think we will start seeing some younger winners, but I do think it'll happen later at the Masters than what it does in any other tournament sure. because there is such a distinct advantage to knowing the ins and outs of those greens. Uh, look, we've never had greens books there, and now it's against the rules to have greens books. So that's another thing where you can't make take a shortcut. And so experience really matters, knowing where to miss. Oh, man, this putt breaks a little more than what you think. This one doesn't turn. And so I think that's why you see guys that have been there a lot, guys that have had success there, they keep cropping up on the leaderboard year after year. All right, you have uh, – we'll, we'll wrap it up here. You have the unique – perspective I know, I know mike tarico is doing the radio but you are doing both the augusta national women's amateur on saturday and then as you noted you you were on the call for the masters tournament of 15 uh it's an incredibly unique perspective to see these two kinds of games is there anything that sticks out to you in terms of the differences between watching obviously one's amateur women's amateur on one side and obviously the highest men's professional on the other side. How does Augusta national change? How does the competition change? Do you feel like from that Saturday to then Thursday through Sunday is the course play dramatically different? How, how does that change in competitive setting? I wouldn't say it, it plays dramatically different. Um, this might going to be my second year playing, uh, work in the Augusta national women's amateur last year was a lot of fun. Uh, was just so impressed by the quality of the golf and how fast these young women were able to learn the golf course, understand the nuances and work their way around. Um, so, you know, it's going to be a lot of fun again. It's so much fun to see them uh, enjoy the moment, have fun playing a golf course that they've grown up watching on TV and then pull off the same style of shots that we've seen in the Masters over the years. I mean, you think back a few years uh, when Jennifer Cupcho hit that second shot into 13 right. to you know about 10 feet or so and drained that eagle putt. She played the last six holes and five under par. You know, those are those are the kinds of things that we've seen guys do to win the Masters. Remember Schwarzel birding yeah. the last four to win uh, in. 2011 i believe it was so for me it's a really cool and awesome moment to be able to to see that competition take place i'm looking looking forward to this saturday again all right uh i had some presence cup questions but we may have to have you back before that uh, again to talk to you, cup. Uh, to you. we'd love to have you i i know i've taken almost an hour of your time here so i don't want to keep you any further uh we can follow you on Twitter. Is it just at Trevor Abelman? Is that where everybody should follow you on Twitter for your insights yeah, there? Twitter, Twitter and Instagram at okay. Trevor Immelman. Okay. Uh, you know, I like to have a good laugh. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, I think that's why I enjoy listening to, to you guys. I don't know about that. Okay. <laughs> uh, Trevor, thank you so much for your time. Best of luck on the call this coming week. 
and uh, throughout uh, the season. Enjoyed it, Brendan. Thanks.